the Jewish Divorce Project. Because marriage doesn't always work out and chicken soup doesn't always help. Look at you, Sheva. Shoulders and all. It's hot in here. Oh, man. <laughs> Hi, Sarah. Hello. Hi. Oh, so nice to meet you guys. You as well. Nice to meet you too. Thank you for joining us today. We're really excited. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Sarah, That's um, just out of curiosity, not that it not that it matters. We've had plenty of guests here who aren't Jewish, but are you Jewish? So I guess emphasis on the ish. Cool. So right. my my mom's Catholic, my dad's Jewish. So I kind of grew up celebrating everything. And then my That's husband cool. is Jewish. So now I'm I know, but the question is, Jewish side. how do you process your guilt? That is <laughs> how determine how Jewish you are. That I, you know, that I probably, the defining uh, quality. I, <laughs> no, I don't really, I process okay, it in a lot of therapy, Jewish. you could say. <laughs> well, that's good. That's wonderful. So uh, we'll get right to it, I guess. <laughs> well, uh, let's no, introduce no our guest. Let's tell us a little bit about Sarah Noam. That's what I was going to do. I mean, Perfect. I mean, this is the foreplay, right? We got to kind of warm people oh, up. Yeah, it's going to be an hour you know? of sexual innuendo and puns. I actually think Possibly. we're going to get right to it and maybe remove the innuendo altogether. But, okay. Oh. Uh, let's, <laughs> well, look, okay. you took your sweater off. Shoulders are out, right? Elbows yes. are out. I'm here. In religious terms, I'm, look how slutty I look. Ooh, I've got, I've got I love it. it. I'm, I'm ready to go, babe. Okay. I have an influence on people, though. It's so immediate way it goes slow it down now so sarah rosen is a new york-based sex therapist with a license in social work as well as a master's of education in human sexuality sarah is a queer affirming therapist who has an extensive experience working with lgbtq plus young adults and clients navigating alternative relationship dynamics sarah has a particular passion for supporting folks with fetishes kinks and alternative lifestyles Sarah helps clients to develop and understand their fantasies in a non-judgmental and celebratory way. And Sarah loves helping couples feel comfortable being vulnerable with each other and gives space for them to share their uniquely authentic kinks and desires with one another. And I wanna also say that Sarah has a great Instagram uh, account at The Kink Therapist, uh, which is really awesome and informative uh, and Thank is uh, just kind of out there and no holds barred and is very honest, I think. Uh, and so, Sarah, it's really wonderful to have you on the Jewish Divorce Project. Uh, you it's are great think, to be here. Yeah, I think our first uh, sex therapist. So I'm honored. I'm yeah. honored that it could be me. We're no longer sex therapist virgins. No, see, here we go. <laughs> I hope so we'll be cuddling afterwards. How, how inappropriate can I be on this podcast? So no person inappropriate you'd like. Wait, I, I mean, I, I've okay. been registering us as explicit on Podbean, so. Okay, okay so okay, wait, good, I'm curious, good. what is the definition of appropriate or inappropriate? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I struggle oh. with that. I really struggle with that uh, because that's my day-to-day -day conversation. I'm like, then I'm in the my personal life. I'm like, wait, what's appropriate? I can't ask my friends if they're masturbating enough. I can't make sure that they're that they're having enough orgasms. Like, I don't know. I'm bad with that. So I, I have a difficult time defining that. Well, I, I, I'm, I guess today, whatever, whatever comes. Uh-oh. <laughs> hey now, Seva. You did first. Let's just put it that way. Certainly I mean, was not the first. <laughs> 
And we don't even have to be goal-oriented about it. We can just take our time and feel the feelings. I often find that's part of the new conversation about sex is that orgasm is not the goal, that sex can be an enjoyable journey in and of itself. Yeah, I think that sometimes focusing on orgasm can really put too much pressure on the experience. Mm. And I, because I work a lot with erectile dysfunction and I have guys that are just like, oh, I have to make my partner come. I have to do this. And it's like, when you expand your definition of sex, you, you have better sex. So one, if it's not goal oriented, two, if you're not defining sex just as penis and vagina penetration, right? Because that's like kind of a limited way to think about sex, yeah. especially because most vulva owners orgasm from clitoral stimulation <laughs> and not penetration. I love that. I'm a vulva owner. Um, yes. I mean the body part, yes. not the car. I just want to be clear. Okay. Go on. Sorry. <laughs> yes. So, um, yeah, I guess I teach people to expand their definitions of sex and have better sex in that way. Okay. So I've got a thousand and million questions. Okay. Uh, what go for does it. better sex mean? How does one define better sex? Oh, well, you have to define that for yourself, right? For some people, great sex is doing a doggy style every Tuesday night, eight o'clock for the rest of their lives. And that's amazing. That makes them happy. For some people, you want to be trying something new every other day. It, it really depends. There's such a spectrum. So better sex isn't about, about the practicalities or the logistics. It's about the feeling that it elicits. So good exactly. sex for you might elicit trust or it might elicit passion and excitement. So whatever it Absolutely. is for you, that is your definition of better sex. Yes. Yes. Everyone defines that for themselves. I okay. actually saw on uh, your Instagram feed that you, a video that I really appreciated, which was you talked about the pressures of spontaneous sex, how like there's this wild, you know, kind of uh, just fantasy and expectation that, you know, you'll walk in the door and throw your partner against the wall every time. And it'll be that patient, you know, passionate, you'll, you'll take them, you know, you'll ravage them and it'll be amazing. Um, and that's unrealistic. It's right. so unrealistic. And that's, I'm a big fan of planning sex. I'll schedule it out and you can make it really sexy. Like send your partner sex all day. Talk about like, I can't wait to do this, this, and this to you later. Like, Sexting is actually a lot of fun. Sexting is, is a hell of a lot of fun. It is, it is. But they're sending pictures or just descriptive texts. It really like builds it up. That's foreplay that's happening all day. And you think about spontaneous sex. I work with a lot of married couples with children and I'll have like a husband's like my wife just doesn't get spontaneously aroused I'm like well let's go through her day she's working eight hours she's coming she's cleaning up after you she's cleaning up after kids like what about that is sexy what's gonna right. get her wet at that right. point like a lot of times I'm like dude you got to help out a little bit more if you want her to like have a better chance at getting spontaneously aroused I would even say from the guy's perspective, you know, if we're looking at it, just a traditional marriage, right? If the woman's staying at home, the man's over the office, but if you're both working at jobs, right, you're both equally tired from putting up with other people and potentially stressors at the office, right? The last thing that you really need is kind of something that's potentially confusing or to be touched in a way you don't really want to be touched. I know there's times when I come back from having worked a full day and I don't want to be around anyone, right? Like I need, absolute, yeah. I need space. Right. Stay six feet the fuck away from me, regardless if we're in a pandemic or not. Right. I yes. need silence. So I'm not about to like jump someone's bones necessarily or want to be jumped myself as soon as I walk in the door. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when you have a job where you're speaking with people all day, you really need some time to decompress and just turn your brain off for a little bit. 
So I want to jump on Noam's question because what I'm hearing him say jump is on that, it, baby. <laughs> um, how do because in every aspect of a relationship, there's two people's needs, which so often are not the same or on the same page. And I think this shows up a lot in the sexual realm. And it's not about right or wrong or who's are better or worse, but how to compromise or how to balance and have both people have their needs met if sometimes they're in direct conflict with one another. Mm. Okay, so that's a really great question. There's a spectrum of sexual interest. No two people are gonna like exactly all the same things. Hopefully you have enough overlap that you can have fun together. But so you don't have to like everything your partner likes, but you cannot judge them or shame them for what they like. So say your partner is looking for a specific, specific scenario and you don't want to act that out, utilize dirty talk, describe it. Mm. There are ways you can engage in your partner's fantasy without doing things that make you uncomfortable. Why do you think it is that people kind of need to be taught some of this stuff that like, that there is nothing wrong with dirty talk, that there is nothing wrong with sexting, that sex can be fun, that sex can be positive. I mean, that is the, that is, the, I think, the other kind of buzzword that's floating around the conversation these days is the idea of sex positivity. And this even came up in a conversation I had with my son the other day, right? He was just talking about how the internet's a big place and, right, there's a lot of stuff that you can see out there, right? And he was mm -hmm. wondering if it was perverted or not, what was out there. And I was trying to explain to him that, no, there's nothing perverted about sex. It's very natural, right? And so, you know, I, I wonder about that. I'm kind of curious about your thoughts as to why we have to have this kind of deliberate conversation now about the positive nature about sex. Yeah, well, think back about the first time you learned about sex. Do both of you remember how you were introduced to sexuality? Yes. Yeah. Was, was it sex ed in school? Did your parents have a talk with you? Well, oh, this is I, wildly different. I grew up in a religious environment, which will definitely come up a lot in this conversation. Mm -hmm. And so there's so, I mean, like I can answer Noam's question for me in my head of like why sure. we have to do this repair work now, because in a religious context, there's right. a whole other conversation happening about yeah. sex. Uh, but my mother runs a Jewish library and I was, and she has three sections in the library, a children's section, youth and adult. And each book is labeled to, to organize it c y or a and i was helping her put books back and there was a book with a youth um label but it was put in the adult and i pointed it out to her and i said why is this in the adult section and it's a book called the wonder of becoming you and it is oh, wow. a book written yes. for religious youth about their changing bodies and all of that and she said well you know you should read this book and then she brought it home and that was my introduction to i guess some of the more intricate actually that is not true i mean it's always through books my cousins had a book that had about your body and had naked pictures in it i remember that when i was much younger that's great that's better than most yeah so that was my intro to it okay um, okay i mean i remember getting introduced to sex i went to a jewish day school so it was you know uh liberal arts education secular education along with judaic studies and um, I remember getting introduced to sexual education, uh, you know, at, uh, I, I think around sixth grade um, mm -hmm. was when we started talking about it. Uh, and I remember it being a, a, a no shame environment, no judgment environment. It was in it was in science class. That's where it came up. Um, wow. OK. You know, I remember there being a box where you could ask whatever questions you wanted. And then I remember the conversation progressing as I got older. Um, 
to be much more direct and much more intimate. And I remember, I think then, I think in seventh grade or so, I was introduced to a man named Scott Fried through Camp Ramah. And I think he probably spoke to a lot of Jewish youth in the progressive community. Um, Scott grew up uh, in New York, I think on Long Island and uh, contracted HIV at a, uh, at a, young, at a young age. Mm-hmm. Um, and just since then went around speaking about sacredness, right? Um, and then there were sometimes very direct conversations about what happens with our bodies as we mature and, and as we grow um, and what happens in acts of sex, right? Can you transmit STDs through certain sexual acts? Like there were very kind of friendly and intimate conversations just about life and sacredness. And then there were other conversations about um, what literally happens, right? Brass tacks, science of it all. Um, so it's this kind of interesting combination as I think about it. Wow. Both of, so both I never, pretty- so I want to um, clarify that the book that was given to me was about pretty much your period. It was about women's bodies. Well, I'm trying to remember an initial conversation about sex right. of the birds and the bees. Mm-hmm. And I don't really remember that ever being a thing. Um, it's definitely out there. It's exists. Um, but there, I don't, there was never any formal sex ed for sure until mm-hmm. you get engaged, then you mm-hmm. have what's called a college teacher, which she's supposed to start to tell you about the birds and the bees. I don't think anybody ever makes it to that age without actually knowing what's going on, but, um, so, okay. So we actually have another guest on this podcast. She wants to remain anonymous, which I think is really interesting because she's going to be the religious, she is still religious and so I grew up religious. So she's here right next to me, um, and wants to stay somewhat anonymous. And I'm curious about, did you ever have a formal conversation? Like, when did you first hear about sex? I think my parents tried to t- talk to me about it, but I probably knew about it beforehand. Like I remember mm-hmm. being the one of my friends who knew everything and told everybody else. You probably told me. That's I probably, probably told <laughs> Okay, okay. Did, did... so that we grew up together. <laughs> I'm curious how she knew just out of curiosity. I, I can't. We also lived in a secular world. Like we grew up in a, we all had TVs, movies. So right we were seeing that stuff and yet we were also like going to a very religious school and being taught a specific way of we don't do that that you know we we were not allowed to touch that like we were not allowed to like not even touch talk talk, communicate i went to an all-girls school so Uh there was no fraternizing at all so so like sex was no fraternizing um wow enough my parents were really were quite progressive for their for their peers and they actually encouraged me to ask a lot of questions. But at the same time as that, I was not allowed to talk to boys. Hmm. How confusing. So, so you got to ask a lot of questions, get informed that way, but you couldn't actually experiment in other ways. Yeah. Like my oh. dad encouraged me to ask questions. Like if I wanted to know like what you're allowed to do or whatever, like religious wise, like I was totally would, could come to him, like no problem. Hmm. <laughs> but I wasn't allowed to talk to boys. Wow. That, How did you guys, oh, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. How did you guys learn about masturbation? Oh my God. So first of all, there's great question. There's um, there's no learning about masturbation, but there's a lot of laws and discussion about men masturbating that is absolutely not allowed because the transgression is spilling seed. Mm. So men are not allowed. And it's like a super big one. And the rabbis and the teachers of men spend so much time and effort telling them, convincing them, banning masturbation, even though it's going on anyway, but all it does is 
create guilt when they're doing it anyway. Yep. So, but nobody really talks about women. Like we're not spilling seed. So it's inferred that it's wrong. No, I never got that message. Oh my God. It's, it's really? inferred that it's wrong, but it's wow. never discussed. I masturbated for the first time in my 20s. No. Wow. I was in college. No and I felt so much guilt. I didn't know who to ask about it. Oh, I actually asked wow. Dahlia. <laughs> I had a friend Dahlia. of mine who grew up religious. And she was oh. the, kind of the only one I knew at that time who wasn't religious. Who was kind of doing her own thing. And was I knew sleeping with guys. And I, I, I was like, who do I? Like, I, what do I do She's sleeping with guys. She knows about Dahlia, that. Dahlia was sleeping with guys. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. So like, this is why we're having wait, 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 those conversations. Oh yeah. So wait, when did you? Okay, that's fair. Thank you, Sarah. I appreciate yeah, like, we coming full circle on that. This like, is why. Yeah. Like maybe early, like I want to say, definitely early teens. Are you kidding? I used like everything I could find. Unbelievable. <laughs> like, wow. Wow. And of course, I was like teaching other people. Like you know, I'm. I was the one that people had que asked questions to. I remember discovering that the shower head was my yeah. friend. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. We had multiple functions that nobody talked about. But I do remember I was in eighth or ninth grade and telling my friends about it. And I remember their faces were appalled. And that was one of my first, like, I got to keep this. Oh, in my mouth so you did in eighth or ninth grade? I didn't masturbate. It just felt good. Like That's no, but I didn't like orgasm. Wasn't like full on touched myself to orgasm. I, I think you should ask your guest, but I think yeah. she'll qualify that. Is that I would qualify that as masturbation. Okay. It felt <laughs> like yes, you define it like you it want felt, to. Yeah. I so the first time you were able to, to make yourself orgasm was in your twenties. Yeah. Well, and it was intentional. It was like I'm gonna touch myself. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So when we talk about the, for our introductions to sexuality. If we're lucky enough to get any kind of sex education in school, we learn about periods, pregnancy, all the really scary parts of sex. We don't learn about what a clitoris is. And when you think about the fact that 75% of women do not orgasm from penetration and we're not learning about like what a clit does, it's crazy. So there's so much confusion. So many women or so many vulva owners just do not understand how their bodies work. And you're trying to make something happen that likely is not going to happen. You're like, well, I've seen all the Ashton Kutcher rom-coms and they're making out and then they're having penetrative sex and then everyone comes at the same time. But that's just not real. It was interesting that you say that I, I was, I dated a woman um, several months ago who uh, didn't understand that her body could squirt and <gasps> so um oh you I made was, that happen for her right and so that was really surprising beautiful uh thank you i appreciate that yes it was beautiful uh and it was just uh it, it was very surprising to learn that about her um I, I mean i remember learning how to pleasure myself in seventh grade i remember you know where i was and what the experience was like and it being weird and confusing and speaking did about you feel it. guilty about it no, I felt confused because it felt good. Um, and I remember asking yeah. my parents about it immediately the next day, um, you know, and they were very uh, sweet and loving that's about a it. A little, in, that's interesting, I will say. Okay. To go to your parents. Like, what was, what were you asking them? Is this normal? What were, what were you? Yeah, exactly. I told them exactly huh. what happened. I said, <laughs> I said, I saw something on TV and um, I got an erection. 
Um, and that's all I knew about it. And then uh, it felt, I told them it felt really good. And then something interesting happened. What did they say? They said, they said that you had an orgasm. They labeled it. Wow. They to understand it. So, you know, I think they, that's wow. I, maybe and it now is. here you are I, making women squirt. We understand how it. There all you happened. go. Thank you, wow. Gail and Steve. Look what you've been able to achieve so many years later. <laughs> all that money. Jewish education. Look where you are now, Camp Noah. Ramah, it started with that orgasm. Making women squirt. It's a shame you can't so, put that on a dating profile. I, you I'm can. Just, I think you can. I think you can just put the emoji. Making women squirt in <laughs> 2019. i hope you explore your sexuality i love that um so i actually had a very positive introduction to sexuality my parents love dr ruth and listen to her all the time so and then my i read a book understanding your body with my mom i think uh and then no one really connected about saturday's really long showers um, and then, <laughs> that's how it happens. And I also had a similar experience of, I remember being at the lunch table in like ninth grade and telling my friends, like, did you guys know that you can have two kinds of orgasms? And they all looked horrified and pretty gross out. This is Catholic school. I actually right. went to an all girls Catholic school for high school. And I was just so confused. I'm just like, what? Like, you guys are missing something here and then I remember having all abstinence only sex education and I was just like this does not click this thing feels really good like why are we why are we hating on it and then becoming sexual with partners I was like wait this feels like very much on my terms it feels very consensual it feels good what like there's these confusing conflicting messages about it what, what do I what do I do with this and I was like I'm gonna become a sex therapist I gotta help people straighten some things out what would you say is the most common question or concern or struggle you get from men? And then the most common struggle or question you get from women, if you can kind of sum it up. So for men, I think that there's a lot of confusion around erectile functioning. You don't get an erection one time. My sex life is over. What's wrong with me? Mm. So just having more, um, control and understanding of how your penis works and for women a lot of the times uh difficulty orgasmic and not because they're inorgasmic a lot of times it's just they there's this idea that your partner is supposed to make you orgasm right but i think that you need to be able to make yourself orgasm before another person can do it for you Hmm. i once heard that your orgasm is your responsibility Huh. It just feels good when someone else does it for you. And I think about that, like, in terms of... Wow, I love that. Yeah, well, I think about it in terms of, like, well, the woman I'm dating now, you know, she and I like to pet each other a lot, right? You're Leading a slut. Sex. What? <laughs> I think you say that positively, right? right? I mean, yeah, I think so. I've been telling you that thing, forever. Right? <laughs> but it's okay. So what do we... When you say slut, what do you mean? What are you calling me? A slut. Um, <laughs> Someone who has no shame about oh, okay, sex good. and can do what they want, can have multiple partners. Like, that's a beautiful thing. I, I take pride in, in being a that. slut. I'll take yeah, that. yeah, yeah. No, yeah. You're I'll a wear the slut. slut. I love it. All right, absolutely. But so what I'm saying is that like, like that feels good and all, but ultimately at the end of the day, right? If I don't come, right? Or she doesn't come, then like, it's not, there's no sort of blame or anything like that, Good. right? There's no deficiency involved. It's just that it didn't happen, right? For whatever reason. 
And to an extent, orgasming is really a matter of the stars aligning and that can happen quickly or that takes, a, you know, however long it takes, I guess. Sometimes you can have a fantastic sexual experience without orgasm, without orgasm and even without touch. I've What's experienced that. that. <laughs> oh, wait, you, you go ahead, share first, and then I'll, and I'll get into it. So and it's like is large part of a much larger conversation, uh, which I'd like to have about um, post-divorce. So I, because I grew up religious, so I don't know how much you know, but if we have any religious listeners out there, in a religious marriage, there, there's a lot of family laws and laws of purity. Are you familiar mm -hmm. with them, Sarah? No. So to sum it up in its basic, most concise form, it's when a woman has her period, she basically cannot, you cannot have sex. And there's a couple of um, restrictions placed on that to just make sure that that doesn't happen. So no mm -hmm, touching. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot, it's pretty serious. It's one of the big ones. Mm -hmm. uh, really, do, you don't have sex when she has her period. Oh, okay. Wait, wait. I do know about this. And, but isn't the after your period's over and then you reconnect, it's supposed to be this really special intimate occasion that you're very intentional about. It is supposed to be. So that's the, okay. it's, that's the, the, the line that they feed you to make you excited about not touching your husband for literally half of your marriage because it's two weeks. Wow. Um, mm -hmm. there, and there is benefit to it. I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater and I'm sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that. With it. There is something to that of the apart come together, the apart come together does create longing and sexuality. And now it comes along with a lot of other stuff that it's not that great. But one of the moments that I remember actually of like exciting sex sexual intimacy was us not touching and we weren't going to touch. So there was this force uh -huh. beyond us. So it wasn't an uh -huh. option, but connecting together, we were in separate beds and having this very intense, intimate, passionate experience. Yes, that's a mind fuck. It's so hot. Well, what was that? Wait a second. Well, what? Can is there, are you, do you feel comfortable sharing a little bit of the content of this intention, like intense Yeah, mindfuck? we were both on our phones reading menus and it was just all about the food. I'm just joking. Oh God, <laughs> come on. I don't want to hear this about fucking so falafel. Oh my God, tell me about that pizza you're looking at. <laughs> yeah, let me hear about his falafel balls. Um, That's well, called I, sloshing. So you want to put your genitals and enjoy the sensations of food on your body. No, I'm just joking. It wasn't about food at all. Okay, um, but just so you know, that's, serious that's sex a thing. therapist was a, it's that's called sloshing. Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, sloshing. Okay. Um, I don't do remember. Do we were just being intimate with each other. We were talking about what we wanted to do or what we would do. And it was this really like it was just exploring an avenue we had we don't usually explore, the, just keeping it in the verbal and in the fantasy without uh, okay. um gratifying in that moment. And there was mm -hmm, something mm -hmm. amazing about that. And I struggled with that a lot post-divorce of, it's really hard to recreate that experience without the restriction because you're so turned on, you're so riled up. And if, why not gratify yourself in that moment? And not that it isn't possible, it is possible. Mm -hmm. but, and everyone always tells me like, you don't need the fear to get to that place. You can do whatever you want. And, but the reality is, yes. is that we are so used to gratifying ourselves and we're so used to feeling good right now that the hold off or the weight or the buildup is nearly impossible. Yet I've experienced uh... it in that moment as being something quite incredible. Now it came with a whole host of other shitty things, but yeah. um, 
yeah. So like, it's been a struggle for me a little bit post-divorce of how do you institute some of those things? How to hold off? Like, I remember there was a month where I was dating and I'm like, no touching. <laughs> and I'm like, no touching. Like, I'm not touching anybody. I want to date and not touch and have touch interfere. Cause it really does. I consider touch to be a bridge. It takes you from here to the other, to wow. another place very fast. And okay. it feels like you're intimate and connected, but you're not, you don't really okay. have that foundation. And so it's amazing and it's a tool, but also can be quite deceiving. You can feel uh, very close okay. to somebody, but you're not. So I remember I actually went on this month long hiatus and I went on a date on day 30. And I tell everybody straight up, cause I'm like, I don't want them to try and kiss me. I don't want to fight it off. So I'm like very clear. This is where I'm at. So the guy was like looking at you his watch. You can kiss me, but don't touch my He's butt. like, can I come over at 12? Because <laughs> it was uh, it was midnight. It was date. It was like the 30 days were over. <laughs> okay, um, that's hot. That's really cool. But anyway. Wow. But the idea of touch wow. being a bridge to something that's a little more serious. That's interesting. And I think it's such an individual experience. Some people have the perspective of, well, I want to test drive the car before I buy it, before I put any time into this, I need to make sure we're physically compatible. So yeah, there are different ways to look at that. Um, but sometimes just holding off. Ooh, so how do you recreate that? I mean, sexting while you're at work, while you guys are away. Sometimes like when you have kids around, you're like, well, we can't do this now, but like, we're going to talk about what we can do later. Yeah. I, I guess maybe what my takeaway is, even in just talking this out is that and my message to all is that there mm -hmm. is there is a lot of reward in delaying the reward, but we're not used to it. I, Especially, yes. I'm going to focus on post-divorce where we come out of a divorce where we're usually not happy and it becomes very like, I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to do what feel goods. Finally, yeah. I get to kind of have my own needs be the priority. And I think in that rush to have our needs met so quickly, Mm -hmm. Maybe we miss out on, hey, slow down. There's so much greater reward when things are slower or when you hold back and not immediately gratified. Yeah, I think as long as that delayed gratification does not come with shame. Like we right. can't do this now because it's bad. That was another thing I struggled with. And yeah. I think it's a common struggle of- What do you mean? Picking apart, untangling, my internal boundary system what do i think is right or wrong what do i think is appropriate what do yeah. i want to do or don't want to do from 30 something years of being told that's shameful that's slutty that's disgusting don't do that so when i have a reaction to something is that me or is that a voice from my childhood that's telling me that that's shameful and that is a very complicated process and i wonder sarah if you've ever come across that yeah, uh, no one really fucks up their, fucks up our sexuality like our parents do. <laughs> really, a lot of times our parents can instill so much shame. I had one client who she felt very conflicted because she was gay and also very Catholic. And she switched churches to, to find a place that was a little more open-minded for her. And she had so much shame about it. And she was like, but I'm, I'm around Catholic people who are LGBTQ and accepting, like, I, I've created this lifestyle for myself where I'm very accepted, but why do I feel all this shame, especially around my parents, even though my parents express being okay with it, supporting me. And it turns out that one time when she was like in fifth grade, she was watching Will and Grace with her mom. 
and her mom made a very negative comment about being a lesbian and that stuck with her. Mm. So the experiences we have as children, they really set the foundation for how we think about sexuality. Can I just um, put in my two cents here as uh, I think as I think it's it's unusual, like I'm a religious, you know, being like an Orthodox Jew growing up in that environment. And I don't think I have any hangups as far as it being like shameful or bad because like I said my parents what? I really <laughs> that's amazing like, that's I really might be weird. unusual I'm not sure but I'm very thankful I don't have it in terms of hang-ups I have it in terms of I'm not supposed to do this but not because it's like bad or shameful or stuff right. like that it's just right. because at my this is what my wow tradition says is best for me and it's not best for me okay now that doesn't mean I listen to it, <laughs> but, it, uh, okay, I, but, okay. that, but that's how I have it in my head. Like it's not the best for me. Like it's more ideal, like in the context, but no shame. Mm-hmm. There was never right. shame attached to it. Right. That Why do you think that you were able to have that perspective when so many people mm. uh, like in your population struggle to? Mm. I really think, like you said, it comes from the parents. And like I yeah. said, my parents were like oddly progressive for their- My parents yeah. were actually- I know it sounds weird, but also oddly progressive. I feel like it came from school more, from my, from my culture, my environment. The interesting part about it, did either one of you ever grow up with the story from the Talmud, which is where a lot of these sexual laws end up originating from, right? The idea of not spilling seed comes from the Bible, right? It relates all the way back to yeah. this idea it's a of, biblical thing. Yeah. right? It's a yeah. biblical thing, right? Of people dying after having masturbated. And so the idea is that it's no, a punishment. <laughs> yes it is it's what, in the torah what story is that but who died after masturbating but wait a second but even if that's that's still for just men like right. i right. was like right I, I was so clear like oh this is totally loud for women oh no, wow i so remember hearing something along the way that that it's Tamar's still not children. allowed for women yeah but who died after masturbating Tamar's children died aaron onan oh aaron onan that's where the whole thing comes from oh yes on- yeah on- onanism or right is that Onanut. Yeah, he died after masturbating. Although, he wasn't like beheaded by a woman. Although I think it was immediately after death too. No, but, he wasn't no, doing but the it point, right. No, but the point. No, but the point. <laughs> no, but, but the point is the message in the Torah, right, is that that sort of thing is meant for procreation, right, lest it be yeah. a, a punishable by death sort of thing, right. So you can understand how, right, yeah. the 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 point of view towards sex is not ultimately or not rooted in a in a positive fashion. The interesting thing about it, though, is that I also grew up with this story from the Talmud, right, which is a, a, a later text, right, around 600 CE or so, in which there's a story of, of uh, a rabbi uh, who's walking home and he's followed by his student, which is a pretty normal thing, right? Students demonstrate that they, that they affiliate with the teacher by literally walking after them, following after them as they walk and pontificate. So the student picks the stuff up along the way. And so the story goes that the student followed the teacher home and even hid under the teacher's bed. And at one point, um, stayed there so long that he heard the teacher fooling around with his wife, right? He heard the teacher doing what married couples do, right? Making his wife laugh, right? And at one point, right, the students discovered and the teacher says, what the heck are you doing here? And the student says, but this is Torah and I need to learn it too, right? So his whole expression is, right, as someone who studies the holy books, right, and has immersed themselves in the Jewish tradition and wisdom, right, as represented in the idea of Torah and literally the idea of the five books of Moses, right, 
the Torah itself, right? That this, this human thing, right? Of being intimate with your partner of sex and foreplay and making someone else laugh in that type of intimate way is equally of sacred value as well and must be something that is learned actively. And in the context of the story makes it even that much more experiential, right? That it needs to be witnessed. Yeah. It shouldn't be anything that's left behind closed doors. Totally I do think- agree with that. And, and, and also like another thing I had in my head was that like the Torah and Judaism were actually eons ahead of their time. That's right. actually what I have. Like it's the opposite of, of things that I hear people say, but like about women, about sex, about, I feel like they're so ahead of their time. Just wanted to put that out there. I absolutely agree with that. And from my work, I, I undo a lot of religious trauma when it comes to doing sexuality and you just don't see that in Judaism as much. Interesting. I do find Judaism to be very sex positive. And I think about my, my husband, I mean, he's reform Jewish, but grew up pretty religious in that aspect. And I think of like, I've learned about the way that he learned about sex and how open his family was about it. And I'm like, that's incredible. But I think that that's just really normalized. Mm. Less so in the Orthodox world. And I do think there's a lot of discussion um, about, there's a lot of like Talmudic discussion about women and sex and pleasuring. And there's actually right. certain conditions where a woman can divorce her husband if she right. if he doesn't please his right. obligation. Right. Yeah, right. it's not the big picture. Like, yes, there's a lot of parts of it that are very seemingly pro-women. And it's it's like Nida, right? So Nida's family purity. It's couched as this beautiful system set up for women that we're gonna give women a break. We're gonna give women um, more autonomy over their body. We're gonna give women this chance to reconnect and also now create this, this beautiful intimacy and reintroduce passion that can last for a marriage that's 50, 60 years. That is beautiful. Now, as somebody who was married to somebody who was incredibly fastidious about the details of it, it was hell. It was torture. Mm -hmm. It felt mm -hmm. incredibly, um, diminishing and it was all on me it was actually more things that I had to do you have mm -hmm. to prepare yourself first of all you have to do prep work for the two weeks leading up to it so like you have to I mean I'm even hesitant to share the details because I know when I talk about it I sound very negative about it and I'm also open to the fact that this is a beautiful experience for many but well you're talking about your experience and we can't right. we can't judge your emotions that come um, along with that so it just felt like so also the, the fear that they put in you, if you have sex and you haven't been purified properly is so extreme that it felt for me that it created this like OCD experience of, because you have to go dip in the mikvah, which is the pure water. waters, right? But you have uh -huh. to be completely barrier free. So you can't have contact lenses in, like there can be no separation between your body and the water. And okay. that can be as simple as a hair on you. If there's a hair on you, then it might not have been a proper a loose hair not a loose hair, hair right version. or a hangnail yeah, yeah yeah you don't have to shave your head but that <laughs> is actually polish, where though. but not even so nail that's actually where the hasidic um custom came of shaving women's heads because it can be interpreted a little bit so it's like let's just be certain and that's why they started shaving oh, okay um, but it's it's not it's so overwhelming like that was one of the first things i stopped doing in my marriage where i said i'm not going to the mikvah anymore and that's a huge deal Huge, huge. 
it's huge. Like, I don't know if I can convey <laughs> like how big of a deal it is for me to stand up and say, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not. It was so unpleasant. And so did your husband practice Tarada Mishpacha at all? Did he go to the mikveh every morning after a seminal mission? Right? Did he wake up and say a bracha over his hands? That's not a thing. thing. But that's my point. That's exactly my point. I know, but it's not a thing. Like he wasn't being hypocritical. No, but my point is it used to be, and then it was discovered to be absolutely ridiculous to actually require people to go on such a regular basis. (laughs) (laughs) I've never heard that. That's funny. Um, No, but he probably would have if that's what it meant he had to do. no, it just it just added so much stress in my life, and mm-hmm. it was actually quite demeaning because there's a woman yeah. there who watches you. <laughs> Somebody's there making sure you're fully immersed in the water. It's called a mikva lady. And okay, it's really, I mean, in today's like sex positive world, it's so wild that this that we can get away with this still, that there's like a room in most Jewish communities where there's a woman watching you undress and dip in the water. And it's yeah, but like very- positivity is a cultural thing, right? So it- I, have, I know. It's an orientation it's, It seems so discrepant, but that's also really hard. You're young, like you get married. I was in my young twenties, never really been naked in front of anybody. And then I just go to the mikvah. I'm supposed to strip down and, and they try and do it as respectfully as possible. Okay. You know, she holds up a towel where she's not like, and I'm sure that there's, some communities where they are more vigilant, but the ones that I've ever been to have been as respectful as possible. They hold up the towel. They're not really scrutinizing you. They're just kind of checking, but yet it's, it's very invasive. And there's no conversation about that, about what that experience is like. Or I never had, I never had. Did you have a conversation about what that, it's such a given that this is what you need to do that there's mm-hmm. no conversation about what that might feel like emotionally mm. in like meaning like from college teachers before you before you do it you're saying yes or even yeah. after like no one talks about that part because it's just well that's what we do so let me stipulate a college teacher is a bridal teacher somebody teaches you the ways of married life the laws of, mostly the laws of nida of this because the there's so many specifics so mm-hmm. and, you, and you learn how to please your husband do you learn how to please your husband no, I don't think so. You do. <laughs> I, no, I don't you think don't. I learned that from my college teacher. Okay. Although not talking about it, please, your husband. But no, he, his teacher. They, the men also get a teacher, by the but way. But they right. don't teach him how to please their woman either, do they? They well, do. They, they the do. One, well, they the, do. Thing my, the thing that he got that my ex got from his yeah. husband teacher was let her rub herself on your back. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, at least we're paying attention to clitoral stimulation in some capacity. During Nita, like when you're on that, no, as foreplay. Yeah, meaning like like the Stegosaurus move. Like she could get her, like I, like could get. (laughs) I this is strangest thing I ever heard. Like rather than laughing about that, as opposed to like telling you how to actually. Yeah, that was the advice. Oh my gosh! Do you know what my my ex? What his teacher told him was actually his rabbi and he had like a deep voice he's like if you come into the bed at two in the morning and you want donuts are you gonna wake her up and say get me donuts (laughs) 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 and it turned out sometimes he didn't want donuts at two in the morning (laughs) i had to do quite a few donut runs (laughs) he'd say donuts and not soup or something like that Latkes, 
You know what? Lot comes at 2 a.m. <laughs> so I'm curious, when were all of you first exposed to porn? And what was that like? Oh. <clears throat> uh for me no one's taking away yeah yeah um i mean it's definitely in high school i think i saw um a playboy probably at summer camp at some point um and then you know when i was in high school i had a computer in my room and you know would wake up very early before school because the download rate was very slow and yes uh, yeah you know you know <laughs> um but yeah the aol disc the cds like the the dial up exactly that's exactly right (laughs) Um, do we have any more cds (laughs) why is there no bandwidth at 6 (laughs) a.m yeah so i remember So you were watching porn regularly in high school i don't uh, regularly is uh you know what i knew about it and i knew how to access it so probably okay because you're the male representative on this call and i'm So curious, actually, Sarah, what your perspective is on porn. But no, before we get there, no, do you think watching porn at that developmental stage helped you or hindered you in your sexual relationships as an adult? Uh, I think it helped me considerably, wow. actually. Um, uh, masturbation certainly helped me, um, you know, as well, just in terms of coming to know myself and what I enjoyed at the time. Um, you know, and it was pretty limited, right? I had only kind of a certain. I think landscape in my imagination for which to imagine women and, and how I wanted to interact with them in a sexual way. And, um, it, but it certainly helped just kind of understand it. I think seeing things for me and witnessing things for me in a safe way is how I come to understand and learn from things best. Uh, but did it, yeah. did it put in your head ideas that were unattainable or fantasies that weren't real that maybe led to frustration or um i I have certainly yes admittedly i have certainly um found myself disappointed in women that i've met over the course of my lifetime and realizing that they do not perform in the same way or know their bodies seemingly in the same way that the women in porn do um which is all for the male gaze and not really about female pleasure right well depending on what type of porn you watch now now i love porn i freaking love porn and i work with a lot of um like people who produce and act in porn. So porn is great entertainment, but it's not sex ed. You can't learn. Right. right. Like that shouldn't be your first introduction to sexuality. And I think the impact that porn has on you, it really depends on the kind of porn you're watching. Like a lot of young boys, they're exposed to the totally mainstream porn. And then they're yeah. confused that every girl doesn't want to be jackhammered. And then they don't want you to come on their face. Right. You know, they're just like, wait, that's just like what a part of sex is. No more, you writing and- this down. No woman has ever asked me to come on her face. I just want to be absolutely clear about that. Like, don't mess with my skincare routine, you know? Like, I don't... (laughs) It's um, enough already. Yeah, You know how long it took me to put this face together? (laughs) (laughs) But you see it so much in porn, and you don't see a whole lot of clural simulation. Uh, Sometimes. But yeah, sometimes I see some positions. I'm like, that looks very painful. Like, this is... That, that's what's also disappointing to me about porn these days is that despite like the high quality and it can be filmed in and whatnot and the digital display and all that, the sex in and of itself looks disappointing. It looks, not only is it lacking in intimacy, which I do find to be an incredible erogenous zone to begin with, but also just the style of sex seems very kind of 
harried and rapey in some way, right? The jackhammering. And that is a style. This is not meant to be shameful in any way of a mm-hmm. particular style. There are some people that enjoy that. There are some mm-hmm. women I've slept with that have enjoyed very vigorous and rough sex, right? So you slut. thank you. Um, again, with the uh, positive reinforcement there. But my point is to say that like, Oh, fuck, I'm so confused now. <laughs> I'm like, well, so, okay, I got the candles so, burning, you know. I'm so sorry. Sex, I'm so sorry. Beautiful no, I love women. It. This isn't fair. Come on. I'm yeah, so here. you jackhammered like some girls in your torture. day. <laughs> so, so, yeah, sex and so porn is disappointing. That's what I was saying because it, it, it for, because it, it looks like it's done very badly, right? Uh-huh. By people so who don't really know porn. their partners. Yeah. Ooh, have you ever made your own porn, Noah? No, but I have been thinking about becoming some type of, you know, licensed or trained um, positive Director? sex educator. Yeah. So I'll be the rabbi who puts the oral back in pastoral. <laughs> oh my God, wait. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to say you're going to make an OnlyFans. We can work on the tagline, but. An um, OnlyFans page for me. As a rabbi, yeah. and you only give sermons. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we give sermons on sex, on how to on please OnlyFans. women. <laughs> totally do that. If you feel her become engorged. <laughs> oh my god you give sermons with sexual innuendo that's exactly that's amazing you're welcome this is my gift to you it's not the Take size it of the boat it's the motion of the ocean and if you have both you can part the red sea my friends oh, you've been working on this you've yeah, been working, working on, on it. it i know it i've been thinking about it he's like off the top of my head and he pulls out a pad of paper <laughs> wait a second oh so i have a okay can you explain what kinks are for people? You know, if we've talked about shame and the religious context of sex and all that, can we also talk about, you know, the idea of kinks and how they could help us in some way? Sure. So let me define the difference between a kink and a fetish. And there's a lot of overlap. And again, you can decide for yourself or this feels like more of a kink for me. And for some people, it might be more of a fetish. So a fetish is the attraction to, and the kink is the behavior. So like maybe you have a fet, uh, a foot fetish, which is my favorite thing to work with because so many people feel so much shame about liking feet, but like literally every guy likes feet almost. It's like, I don't like feet. you just all talk to each other. Oh, okay. Well, do it. All right. Just keep your socks on girls. Ugh. Oh my gosh. But listen, so, so, but if guys just talk to each other, they would know that most of them like feet and it's like, it's really cool. And my thing is like, who doesn't want a foot massage? We really, we're so mean about foot fetishes. I hate it. So anyway, fetish is the attraction to but maybe you have a kink for foot stuff where you just like your feet licked or whatever. Um, you can have a fetish for leather, like you're attracted to it, or you can have a kink for it where you really like seeing people in leather outfits or feeling, or just the sensation of leather on your skin. So kink is any non-normative sexual behavior or any behavior that is not typically seen as sexual. Which is ambiguous quite ambiguous yes exactly exactly are toys a form of kink like enjoying toys they can that... be okay they can be you can you have just a got like the toys. biggest smile when I, I know toys. what you what's like... on your mind you just lit up by the way oh. i'm into backs sheva for your anonymous friend i'm into backs just in case backs like backside of a woman's body or like spines body? spines and things like mine turns you on what yeah. like a skeleton <laughs> just a spine because like how do chiropractor offices work for you are you you get really hard when you walk in and (laughs) okay are you ready for this 
Yeah. This is something that are we? What is that? It is. Can we experience this virtually? Because <laughs> is that a 3D I mean, printer? I think we'll have to have a picture of this <laughs> somewhere in our okay. show notes. Okay. Yes. So flashlights. That that so you know what it looks like? It looks like the device that you put your head in when an eye doctor measures your eyes. So I'm confused about. <laughs> do you know what I'm talking about? When it you, looks like VR. When you put your chin <laughs> in does. there, and an eye doctor. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I know you're talking. It about. does actually. Yeah. Thank you. The one perk of my job is all the free sex toys I get. Um, this is Damn. the coolest thing ever. It's oh my god! I was just playing with this yesterday. Ah, here we go. Okay, so you put. The episode got hot. This is a machine that turns you off. How fucking cool is that? Wait, so for men and women. Hands. I don't no, understand. This is for men. This is for men. Okay, so it's a jerk off ah! machine. Why can't you jerk, jerk yourself machine? off? Because why? Why would you use your hand if you don't have to? Yeah. True. It's, it's really like it's it's minimal effort. No, I oh never gosh. again will I use my hand. I'm just, I'm just. I don't, there's there's no reason. It's huge. Second of all, well, I'm not shaming my hands. I could claim disability on such a thing. Well, okay, this is also very tunnel. disability friendly. So you, if you don't have a whole lot of, it looks like for whatever reason, disable you. It looks like a guillotine <laughs> for a penis. So you well, put your sleeve. Here's an alien butthole that I have. An alien, um, because that's a kink of yours is to is to have sex with an alien bunghole. Um, I just want to make sure, like that's what we're talking about here. Maybe. Okay. Maybe <laughs> I haven't tried it yet, but I'm definitely open to it. Bring it on, girl. So take me to oh, your Oh wait, leader. this one, this <laughs> this one doesn't fit in here, but yeah. So basically, you can control the this one the speed, the height. Boys, we haven't even said that's what she said. This okay, so, this is, so if I were into alien bungholes, I could have sex with that. And what, what, yeah, but I you can put different types of hold that you perpendicular put, to me. Is that what it is? You can, um, you can put one that is clear, you can put one that looks like a vagina or a butthole, but yeah, so you hold on to the two handles, yeah. you um, turn it yeah. on, and you can, you know, change okay. the. So, I have a real question here, okay. Yeah. But these are okay. real questions. So, okay, is everybody ready? No, it's actually a real question. Okay, and and, and it's Send a little bit. Off. It might even sound non-PC, but ooh, and, here we go. Okay, I totally understand yeah. and am in support of toys and things like this. Sorry, right? guys, a okay. One of the wait, hold on. No problem. Okay, so I dropped it. Okay. So I'm when you zoom out from just a sex positive viewpoint, there are some mm -hmm. other factors that go into creating a toy like that. And one of them yes. is, is it seems to promote loneliness, not loneliness, but self-dependency in a way that might inhibit people from going out, connecting, pursuing, which can be incredibly uncomfortable. And if there's mm -hmm. such a need in getting your needs met and not having to put yourself in a discomforting, in an uncomfortable position, again, are we doing a disservice to humanity by having toys like this, like sex dolls and things like that, where mm. I don't want to say I'm anti the toy or the exploration, I yeah. very much pro it, but there's a cost yeah. to it that I think we're seeing because in relationship to everything else that's going on where we're isolated we don't need to interact with people it's just more and more and more removal from other people and connection mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i'm just gonna well, say this just... someone sent me a flashlight several months ago and it's fucking awesome yes i, I, I love that i have like so a glorified many... flashlight another alien vagina machine. 
Okay. Okay. So let's. So and let's I still get go out this. plenty. Because it's just tell you that it's very different sensations. Like fleshlight feels great, vagina feels great, but they're not they're not anywhere near the the same. So I mean, is a toy going to replace an actual partner? No, it's it's very different. Now, are there some people who are going to have VR sex for the rest of their life and fall in love with robots? Like, yeah, but that's going to happen either way. Now, if those people are living their best lives if it doesn't impact the quality of their life then there's no problem but right if you want to meet people and you're limiting yourself because you're like well I can stimulate myself and then it's easier not to then yeah I could see that but I think that people who utilize sex toys and really explore their own bodies they tend to have better sex with their partners now I'm also a big fan of utilizing sex toys with your partner um again it's a lot easier like I'm never going to give a hand job with my hand again. I mean, like, it really does talk? sound a lot easier, right? <laughs> this why is would... amazing. Wait oh my second. gosh. I... Did you really just say you're never going to get Yeah, why should she? Again? I need to get one of these. I think this is a great idea in context of a partnership. Yeah, especially jerking someone off with a flashlight, you lube it up. It's like just a very easier motion. I, and I, I don't know. But, Here we but, go because but, I enjoy the flashlight, but you know, really flashlight. But I love it, Sarah. Tell me more about this. Why you would know you want to give that experience? Really, you'd rather get jerked off by hand? Okay, absolutely. No, no, no. In I'm terms of giving the experience, I'm talking yeah. about I want to do that for the person. Like I wanted, I don't want my services to be replaced. Yes, anonymous Again, and I are like saying the same thing from different <laughs> perspectives. Yeah. But again, different sensations. So for me, if I'm like, I want to pleasure my partner, but like, I just don't want to do a lot of work. I'm going to bring That's out fair. the flashlight, you know, but sometimes, you know, I, I guess, you know, you, you change it up. Um, but I think that when you can, it's not replacing sensations, you're adding sensations into the bedroom. I guess, I guess, I mean, it could be because I'm so deprived, but I love the doing part of everything. So I just want to do it all. Like I never want to replace that opportunity. Yeah, high five. <laughs> I think we have, wow we have another slut over here oh yeah yes. oh yeah. Oh, no, okay. no, but it's just that i'm i'm i would be in a different lifetime if i was not who i am if i was not religious she doesn't have penetrative sex maybe you're but a she'll do slut. everything else everything else i, I think so <laughs> yeah and that's, there's so much you can do outside of penetrative sex trying to think i also no, I'm not sure about it. <laughs> I haven't, haven't been able to decide. Well, I'm still not clear what the definition of slut here in, to, in right now is in this conversation. Yeah, because it sounds like it's slut. almost like, well, it's being used very positively. It, right. If you enjoy it, you're That's a slut. the point. Yes. If you enjoy it, you speak positively of sex. I'm going to tell you the exact definition of slut. Here, hold on. Hold on. I can tell you what it meant in USY. Okay. A person of any gender who celebrates sexuality according to the radical proposition that sex is nice and pleasure is good for you. So we got a whole bunch of sluts in here. That sounds pretty broad. What do you Myself included. I'll give nice but like snaps. Every, Not so I'm much. determined sexuality is, right? I, you know, like I was going through a list of terms with my husband. I was like reviewing this dating site. And he's like, what does this mean? This is similar to this. And I'm just like, yeah, there's a lot of overlap. You decide how you identify and that's cool. It's going to be different for everyone. Let me also just say that specifically, because I think that's been the first real natural bridge we've had to just say why this matters in divorce land, which is to say that like, 
you know, I, I think a lot of people when they first get divorced do go through a period, Sheva alluded to it before, of intense sexual activity, right? Maybe they're uh-huh. grieving. And yeah. so sex is the one the way the rate, you know, the way that they respond to grieving, right? Well, right. grieving because you feel rejected and divorced and so right. a lot and of people so- get a lot of people get divorced because they're well, a big part of it is that they're not having fulfilling sex. They don't feel like they're connecting Maybe. their partner. Yeah. They don't feel like their sexual needs are are being heard or validated. They lost attraction to their partner, so they don't want to have sex with them. So people have much better sex post-divorce, much better sex because you're so much more intentional about it. You're like, for years, I was deprived of the pleasure that I want and I'm going to seek it out. I've gone through all of this. I've totally like changed my lifestyle and I have no time to waste. I'm going to have great sex. So people have better sex during their second marriages. And there's also the post-divorce hoe phase. For everyone. Just say in a positive way. That's what I was and talking also, about. Also, yeah. another element of that, <clears throat> maybe just for me, but I think what I've heard with a lot of people is <laughs> assuming that you, let's just say that the demographic you get divorced in your 30s, right? There's an average uh-huh. of 30s, 40s. You're so much more comfortable with your body at that point that- Oh my gosh, yeah. The combination yeah. of new sex with body comfort is amazing. Now, people in, in marriages are also getting older and getting more comfortable, but it's not that new sex sex experience it's whatever you know it's it's old sex (laughs) but I think that for me in my 30s and just getting to a place of being more and more comfortable with my body and also being okay asking for what I needed and not being dependent on like maybe he'll please me maybe he won't or or taking someone's hand and putting it where I wanted it to go rather than Mm -hmm. hoping Mm -hmm. he'll stumble upon the, the you know the magic spot uh, Someone's like dry like, rubbing your left labia for 45 minutes. Just tell them that though. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Which are, my which thigh. Are like, no, that's my thigh, right? <laughs> I think that that's happened. Yeah, totally. Which are, you've just named like three other myths about porn too, right? Which is one that like everyone is gorgeous, right? The guys have six packs and the women have big breasts, um, right? And that everyone knows where and how to touch everyone. Yes, there's a conversation right? It's just automatically, yeah. I know where to put everything and everything fits in nicely, right? And that it's fun for everyone too, automatically, right from the get-go. And that's not the case. It's a very, it can be a very awkward thing. And particularly in divorce too, your first time back, maybe it's been a while since you've really been touched by someone. I've learned, I, I became much more comfortable with my body post-divorce um, than I was pre-divorce and certainly mm-hmm. pre my first marriage right? And thinking my body needed to look a certain way, which I could never achieve, which I've accepted now, which I've also learned to know that is beautiful, right? And sexy in its own right, depending on how I carry it and how I use it. It's got nothing to do with how much I work out. That certainly helps or anything. Hitting the gym does help. But at the same time, right? Accepting our own bodies as they are is part of what sex appeal is, I think, right? There's something very sexy about- That is unique to divorced women. Yeah. Uh, nah. I love that he's talking about it from a male perspective. I love but that. I also, but I also say that like I, I've been attracted to and am attracted bigger women, right? As much as I'm attracted to smaller women, it's about how they carry themselves and how they see themselves, which makes the difference, right? I've been, mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I've slept with some much bigger women that have been just absolutely sexy in my eyes because of the per- personality they had and the way they carried themselves, regardless of their body types. For a while, I was very curious, like post-divorce, I actually forgot about this and now you're bringing it up, that I was very curious, what what is good sex to men? So I would ask all the time, what, what's been the best sex you've had and why has it been the best yeah. sex? Yeah. And not 
hundred percent, but pre predominantly the answer was when with women who are comfortable with themselves and who are comfortable with their bodies and know how to ask and know how to lead across the board. It's not about she was the hottest or the biggest boobs or that. It was right. that confidence, that comfort I've heard from so many men. Well, is, see, and that's the interesting thing is I struggle to find a woman who is really assertive right? Who kind of knows what she wants and asks for it or takes it, right? I've certainly been with women who guide me and communicate with me in the process of sex. And I appreciate that too, to let me know how to please them. That's wonderful. But at the same time, right? Like I'm still expected to do a lot of the leading along the way. There's this very kind of traditional and patriarchal way that I think women end up getting in a submissive role during sex, which I've come to expect and also come to really kind of get tired of because it's like, I don't wanna always have to lead. I wanna be taken sometimes. I wanna meet a woman who knows what she wants and takes it, right? As much as she may wanna feel that from me, it'd be nice to be pursued mm -hmm. sexually. Um, I have a fun idea for you. When you're hooking up with someone, um, make them tie your hands behind your back while you're going down on them, but they have to tell you exactly what to do. You cannot move without them telling you where to go. I could try that. I could try that. Because some women, they're just not used to having permission to ravage a man and just, you know, go for what they want. So sometimes you have to say, hey, here's your permission to do this. And then you give a, you know, give someone that power and they're like, can oh, you wait, right now, I'm, can you right now him a permission slip so he can show it? To this oh, yes. This is getting all therapist. sorts of kinky. My permission slip. Yes. <laughs> I have teacher fantasies. Write the note. That's therapist hot. fantasies? I don't get me started. Oh man, there's a lot of those. Don't get me started. Sarah, I have a toy question for you. Okay. What do you think of the Sibian? Ooh. Um, there's just much better stuff out there. I think like the Sibian is really cool. I think like important watching people on the Sibian is so hot. Um, but again, if you like, it's just like a, a huge contraption. So if you're looking for penetration through toys, I feel like there are better options, but I, I mean, I think it's really cool. That was my most intense experience ever, for sure. Really? Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. What, uh, what about it do you think made it so intense? Like, it's insane. It's like sitting on a motor, like on an engine, you know, like it's crazy. Okay. And was there a dildo oh. attached to it or were you just on the straddle? Yeah, there's like, there's like three little attachments, like one for each. Yeah. So there's it's so intense like uh, it's mind-blowing i gotta tell you i'm liking this off-screen conversation okay i have a, i have a question about um kind of different area fearing to a different area can what do you what is your advice sarah for people in a relationship with bad sex so do you what let's mm -hmm. say somebody's in a partnership that they love this person and there's great community like so many things are good and yet the sex isn't that great. You know, are they, if they leave that person, are they chasing something? If sex is important, is an important part of your life and your partner is maybe unwilling to dissect that part of your relationship and, and make changes and, you know, listen to your needs, you're probably not going to be happy. And my concern would be growing resentment towards your partner because of the sexual dissatisfaction. But I do have some couples where, I mean, people have very different sexual needs. Like I have a couple where um, the wife is asexual and she realized this through therapy. She's just like, I, I just don't like sex. It's just not something that I need. Her husband is a, is a sexual person. So we've walked them 
through becoming polyamorous. So he is able to have sex with other people with some regulations. And for her, it's like the, it takes the burden off of her. And they, they have a great relationship in every other way. And their relationship has been so much better because he's getting his needs met and she's not to, having to do something that she's just not into. And I think a common question that comes up when people talk about polyamory or should we, shouldn't we, is this fear of what if you fall in love with this other person? What if you develop feelings or want to leave? And how often does that actually happen? So what I see in my practice is more often than not, when you open up your relationship, you have more appreciation for your primary partner. So the love grows. Yes. And also it's like, you attribute that. It's like a nice plug for open relationships. It, it <laughs> is. I've, and of course it's not for everyone, but I, I think that well, you think about like when you have another kid or you get another dog, you're not just like, I like my first one a little bit less. This one's better. Just love doesn't tend to work that way. You have kids, Sarah? <laughs> I don't know about it. When that second dog not shits yet. all over the place on a Sunday morning, you start to regret getting the second one. <laughs> not yet, just dogs. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's get back to you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay, well, yeah, we'll check it in a few years. But I find that like, let's say, your partner, okay, I have a couple where the, the guy had a really big penis and the girl is just like, it just really hurts to give him head and I just I just don't like having to do it, but he really liked getting head and then they they were poly and he hooked up with a girl that had the, the sick deep throat and he was like, this is great, I'm having this need met and my wife is allowing this to happen and maybe she was involved and again, the love grows, he just appreciated his wife so much, he loved his life with his wife and like he's not just like, just because someone can like, fit my whole dick down their throat doesn't mean that like now my my whole life with my my wife is is not as good that's that's shalom by that's having a peaceful household right there big dick and all yes big dick and all yes. so i think a yeah. lot of couples i don't know a lot but i i, I know that it happens that that's an that's an, a common discussion at the end of a marriage, right? So people are not happy. Something's off. Divorce has all of these implications, ramifications, and consequences. So a natural conversation is, well, what if we open up? What if we, mm-hmm. what if we, what if we yep. open up our marriage? The threesome um, band-aid. Mm-mm. It doesn't work. No. Oh, it can't okay, be so to save a marriage. So the threesome can't save a marriage, but polyamory can? Well, because the- you're starting off with a good relationship. In theory, yes, it's still yes. rooted, right? Yeah. So it, it's we're at a place that not... we're together. It really depends on the mindset. If we're together and we want to figure out how to make this work rather than last ditch effort to kind of piece this together. Yes. Then there are work. a lot of agreements that go into an open relationship. A lot of agreements. Polyamory tends, it, it, it's meant to, you know, enhance a healthy couple, but not save right. a failing marriage. Right. And right. when you, so- there are a lot of discussions that go along with polyamory and they're very, very intimate and difficult discussions to have with your partner or they can be. So a lot of partners have, it's like this very intimate experience because you're talking about your insecurities and your fears of your partner being with other people. And you have this very honest, open conversation and it, it makes it easier to talk about the other difficult issues in life. People who are polyamorous, who have had those discussions, it's easier to talk about money. It's easier to talk about kids, in-laws, because you have the tools for that. Mm-hmm. So 
so it's really cool how that kind of like delves into other parts of your life. I just want to check in with you, Noam. It's been a while since you've made a sexual pun and I just, <laughs> just make sure everything's okay and I'll still I'm, give you the opportunity. I'm in post-coitus mode right now. I'm, just, I'm, <laughs> so here. Okay. I'm being cuddled. We're ready for the cuddle. Lovely <laughs> conversation. This is, it's been unbelievable. I mean, I, yeah. I, we've covered a lot. This is, I think, just been a really wonderful treasure trove of information, wisdom, right? and coming to an understanding that sex really can be a sacred act. And in that, you know, it can be a tool for really coming to know your partner, right, on an intimate level and much more than just kind of a physical one, but in an emotional one as well. And that in and of itself can be uh, a real turn on. I think this is what Esther Perel also calls erotic intelligence, right, the ability to kind of be creative in your marriage and to be creative in the bedroom um, and to think about different ways to pleasure one another. And if you want to hump your husband's back, that's cool. And if you want to give him donuts, you can give him donuts. Yeah. <laughs> no matter Sarah, what, this you... too is Torah, right? Yeah. <laughs> donuts back. Sarah, do you have a um, one piece of advice, if you can, to a, the divorce population? So yeah. if you can just give one wisdom, what would it yeah, be? Yeah, I, I think that, I think that we should normalize divorce a lot more than we do. And I see a lot of people try to make it work in marriages that are just not functioning and you lose out on so much happiness and pleasure. And I just feel like, you know, marriage, it just doesn't have to be forever. And that's cool. Oh, oh, oh. And you have better sex post-divorce, 100%. Well, let me, uh, let's ask this question, just as perspective. I was talking about this um, with someone I'm dating, uh, the other night, but like, what if um, we had conversations about sex positivity much earlier on, right? You might be able to save oh, some That's marriages. what your only sermon, only, only sermon. Oh, oh my God, that's a great, <laughs> only sermon instead of only, only sermon. <laughs> oh my God, it's brilliant. <laughs> it was just scrolling past guys, shouting out into the ether. On this oh, wow. Stay tuned until we launch only sermons. Only, only sermons, just the hottest rabbis you've ever hottest seen. Hottest rabbis Back to that on again. the market. <laughs> Some of us just wearing to fill in the leather straps, pulling them tight on the skin. Whipping, whipping, whipping women with the lulav during Sukkot. This is how you shake a lulav. I had sex in the sukkah this past year. It was pretty awesome. You had sex in the sukkah? Sukkah sex. Slut. Call him a slut, Sarah. He's such a slut. I'm like, yeah. I'm obsessed with this. Pseudo sex. Yeah. Oh, oh, the other thing about divorce is um, know that if you're not happy with your partner, it is possible to have an amicable split. You can see a couple's therapist for the purpose of having an amicable split. We have to talk about point. that. That is That's true. That's a really good point. Yes. Amicable or you can bash split. their car. Either option. Oh. <laughs> you definitely have either option. For yes. another time, I have like so many ideas about how to improve the whole sex thing for for religious people, like like solutions to the problems. Like one example is serial marriage. Another time, we're not going to deep dive into it. I guess I'll have to come back for a second episode. Yeah, we'll have to do a part two because <laughs> another piece of advice for divorce, and maybe we'll actually do like a Q and A or something like that, is because of the lack of sex ed that happens, if somebody grew up religious and gets divorced in their 30s, there's very little knowledge about diseases, 
um, about boundaries, about saying no, about what you want. And mm-hmm. there's really no one to ask at that point because it's so embarrassing. Like who yeah. are you supposed to ask yeah. in your 30s these questions that most people ask in their teens? Right. And yeah. that maybe we'll have, we'll part two, maybe we'll have that. Well, that's a great idea. This has been uh, Sarah Rosen. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you've been Sarah- an amazing guest. Where can tell everybody where yeah. they can find you? Yeah, um, yeah. You can find me on Instagram at the King Therapist and on TikTok. Very cool. Um, so friends, uh, check us out uh, as you normally do on uh, iTunes and Spotify as well, as well as uh, Podbean. Uh, and you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at the Jewish Divorce Project. Okay. It was so nice to meet you, Sarah. Thank you so much. For Thank you guys us. so much for having me. It's been lovely spending time with you all. This is great. Bye, everyone. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Talk soon. Bye. Thank you, Anonymous.